What we in the collective governance of golf is it being really prescribed and determined in being welcoming as a sport. We want to try and take the obstacles down. Golf is a sport, unfortunately, that it's born in rules and born in things to do and not to do. And we have a responsibility to take those obstacles down. I went by a, an older golf course and it had a sign up right walking into the driving range and it said, nobody under 13 allowed over here. Anyone under 13 not permitted. And you just sort of think that's exactly the old school of thinking is juniors not being able to play or under the age or not being permitted. And what we're trying to do is figure out ways to make people feel comfortable on the golf course, right. feel welcome, and that might be by structure or by setup or by lowering economic obstacles. And that's a real part of our mandate at Golf Canada. And our goal is to be a really financially sound national sport federation, providing great programs, great platforms, for people to engage with the sport and continue to bring joy to people's lives in some small way. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thank you for joining us. And please subscribe, rate, and review the show on either iTunes or our show page at mod.golf so that you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. If you'd like to receive our monthly newsletter, please sign up on the Mod Golf Podcast website to receive the latest news relating to the innovative future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Lawrence Applebaum, who is the CEO of Golf Canada. Lawrence oversees the executive management and strategic direction of Golf Canada's multifaceted business, which I'll give him the chance to shed some light on in a moment. Golf Canada is spearheading and partnering on several innovative initiatives to grow the game beyond the over 320,000 golfers they represent by making it more inviting, accessible, and relevant for everyone. So with that to get us started, Lawrence, hey, thanks so much for joining me today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Well, thank you, Colin, and really appreciate the opportunity to come and to join you here today. Oh, I appreciate this. I know we've been working for several months to try to put this together. I'm glad you've finally been able to take a breath or half a breath to, to spend a few minutes with us here on the Mod Golf Podcast, because I know that 2018 was a big year for Golf Canada, and we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about the future of next year and beyond with Golf Canada and everything you're doing. But to kick things off here, Lawrence, why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself both personally and professionally with your backstory before taking the CEO role in July 2017. And I also want you to share your first ever golf experience with us, please. Well, I've been with Golf Canada for, for just over a year and a half now, uh, joining, as you said, last the, you know, last summer. And I've spent my entire career in the sports environment, mostly the first sort of half of my career in the sporting goods environment, working with pretty well-known brands such as Wilson, Nike, Solomon, and a number of other companies in the sporting goods space. And in 2011, I went and was recruited to join the Women's Tennis Association and packed up and moved our family down to Florida and oversaw the day-to-day -day operations of the Women's Tennis Tour, which had 56 events in 33 countries and was on seemingly uh, 52 weeks a year, although it was closer to 42 weeks a year, and based in the southern U.S. for almost six years. And then I had the chance to return home. And I'm from Toronto. My wife's Canadian. Uh, and the kids uh, had a chance to come back and be close to their 
extended family and friends that they grew up with. And so we moved back to the Toronto area, uh, just west of the city, and really thrilled to have uh, had the opportunity in the first year and a half to have just a wonderful experience at Golf Canada. And we've had an amazing year on a, a number of metrics and a number of ways of looking at it, but really just excited to be back in the golf business. I've probably spent a third of my career in Canada, uh, about a third of it in the U.S. and a third of it overseas. So I've worked in or, or traveled to over 60 countries and been a very big global sports industry enthusiast and participant and seeing what we do in Canada and how strong we are here in this marketplace, not only for golf, but for business and for national sport federations. It's just, uh, it's been a thrill to be home and a thrill to, to lead this organization. So that's the few minute overview. And you also asked Colin about the first golf experience. And I was... I did. I always love to hear this. <laughs> I was trying to rack my brain about the very first one, but maybe the most memorable one from the really early days was my grandmother, who was not a super athletic, very thin woman, always played golf. And we always thought that was kind of interesting as we didn't know that she didn't have an athletic background, but my grandmother, Sybil, had a set of golf clubs. And so my brother and I would take that single, you know, who knows if it was a ladies' senior set at the time, but with that set of golf clubs, big leather bag, and we'd bring it on the TTC up Victoria Park and go to Tam O'Shanter Golf Club. I know where that is. And my brother, my, yeah, my brother Andrew and I would split the set and we had a secondary bag and we would traipse around Tam O'Shanter. And so good memories, family related. And uh, those were early, probably preteen years of the first experience, which was really, really a, a nice one that uh, who, who knew that uh, I'd be so involved in golf later on in life. That's a great story. Th thanks for sharing that. So before we get into telling us about the kind of the overall vision and the purpose with Golf Canada, I want to hear how, how did you end up going from the WTA to taking that position or even have the opportunity? Were you approached or how did you get pulled into the golf industry and what was your, your motivation and your desire and your passion to do so? It sounds like you always already had a very strong career, even though you wanted to get back to Canada. What was the real decision, the positive decision or, or component that you decided you wanted to get back into the golf industry? Well, there are a couple really nice things that came together, and part of it was family-related. Uh, I have two, which were younger kids, obviously, at the time, and now both are young teenagers, and a chance for my whole family to come back and be around their extended family and come home to friends and come back to Canada was just something we knew would be the next step in our evolution and, and possibly in my career evolution. And I'm always incredibly grateful to the opportunity I had at the WTA, which was led by one of the incredible leaders and one of the you know, great Canadians who was doing things outside of the Canadian borders, which was Stacey Allister, who was the CEO of the WTA at the time. And I got recruited. I knew her for a long time in the tennis business and having that opportunity, which really that opportunity allowed me the chance to see professional sports, to see a governing body, to see governance structure, to see players, some of the most incredible athletes on the planet. And the WTA was a member-based association, you know, made up of members members, which are players and tournaments, and how they got along in this global circus. And that experience more than whet my appetite for what was the next stage and the opportunity to run a national sports federation or run a professional tour. And got a call about this opportunity at Golf Canada. And to be quite honest, didn't know much about Golf Canada in particular or golf 
golf governance outside of the sporting goods industry. And so it was an opportunity to learn more and go through the process. Uh, it was a pretty extensive search process that the board ran, and it was incredibly enticing. We have an amazing position in Canadian golf to grow the game, to lead the game, to invite our entire country into all the benefits and wonderful components of this sport. And at the same time, it's an amazing commercial property. We work with some of the biggest and best brands in Canada. Our two title sponsors, you know, the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, and, and Canadian Pacific Railroads, CP, as our two title sponsors. And so we've run a very robust commercial business with our professional championships, with our membership, our digital network that we're really growing. And, and, and that's probably been really the thing we've had a real mode change here at Golf Canada. But there's so much to come back for, Colin. You know, there's so much to do and see and experience. And I'm very fortunate. I look outside my window here at the 10th hole at Glen Abbey. And we're in a, a, in a wonderful part of the world that has phenomenal golf courses and tons of play. And so uh, a lot of great things came together for this role. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that, giving us an overview there and, and telling us a bit about what Golf Canada does, because you do a lot. Uh, to that, could you just crunch that down a little bit and just provide our listeners with an overview of, let's say, what your overall vision statement or your overarching purpose and, and goals are there? And you talked about growing the game and how you're actually doing that to making it more inviting and more welcoming and, and extending beyond the 320,000 golfers that you represent already. So can you kind of touch on that? Do you actually have a vision statement that you can share with us? Well, I'll give you a little perspective is that we spent 2018 with a very robust process in putting together our strategic plan for 2019 through 2022. And we've worked with all of our constituents. It's being led by the management team and the board. And we put our arms around all of our constituents, our provincial associations, we have an incredible group of volunteers who help us in the governance area, our governor's council, our provincial council, as well as so many constituent groups that you've spoken to on this podcast many times of people who are involved in the game. And we will launch in February our new strategic plan, as I mentioned. And it really centers around our, our vision and our mission. And I'll give you some sort of tidbits or snapshots of it. Our vision is really about being a world leader in golf and to really lead as a national sport federation all aspects of what we do in golf. And it really ties in very succinctly to our very clear mission. It's an evolution of our current one, which is really that we're here to increase Canadian participation and excellence in golf. We want to have more people playing more golf and to succeed within the sport than ever before. And I've heard it with other guests that you've had as well, and, and you've talked about it certainly directly, Colin, is we are blessed with the highest per capita uh, number of golfers in the world and, and the second most number of golf courses of any country in the world besides the U.S. So in 2019, you will see an updated version of all of our statistics, but we're somewhere around 6 million golfers. We know through our Gore Center that they register over 7 million games of golf. Isn't that incredible? 7 million games of golf are played. And something that is really fundamental is getting more people to play more often. It's just as simple as that. 
And from that, let's, let's let's talk about growing the game in that sense. I do want to talk about the, the long-term player development in that and the high performance area, but let's park that for a second. I do want to talk about the diversity and inclusion aspect of growing the game, these untapped potential there with growing the game, of course, with women, younger people, ethnic minorities, our LBGTQ communities. And I know you're doing quite a few things, including golf for kids. So perhaps you can touch on those of, of what actionable programs you're putting in place and partnering with also with Golf Canada that are taking that from just talking about it to actually making that happen? Well, first I want to just could hear myself when I said the, the number of rounds played. We're actually approaching more than 60 million rounds of golf. And I, I said 7 million. I was thinking about the number of golfers and growing from 6 million. I, I thought that was a little low there. It is, uh, yeah. <laughs> growing from 6 to, you know, our, our goal is to grow more than from 6 million golfers, but we register between on our score center a certain number, but we believe there's over 60 million rounds played in the country. Right. So that that's one thing is I'll correct myself, Colin. The, the question that you asked was really about bringing new people to golf. And I think you will see in all of our activities is we are trying to grow in every area. And first and foremost is we've had an exceptional success in a couple of programs and, and I will point to youth in golf. And it is by far the most prolific junior golf program in the country. It's called Golf in School. And Golf in Schools is part of our Future Links program. So Future Links has an umbrella brand of Future Links, which is driven by Acura, which is a Golf in Schools component, a Get Link component, which is trying to bring people to golf courses from places like schools or driving ranges and getting them to golf courses. And then we have Future Links Championship which are events put on across the country, along with our partners at the provincial associations, to play in competitive events and get their first experience of tournament golf. And so Future Links has had incredible growth where we've had some of our, our biggest partners. Golf Town, for example, over the last two years has invested in over 170 golf in schools programs where we bring instructors and equipment and all the fun components of it to bring it right to gym classes in schools right across the country. Golf in schools in 2019 will get close to have been in 25% of all schools in Canada. So it's really something we got to do a better job of promoting and telling the story. But one in four schools were on the edge of getting to that number wow. of being able to have this program. And it's in partnership with the PGA of Canada. It's in partnership with our great sponsors like Acura, like Puma, who's been a big sponsor of golf in schools. And we're really, this is one area we're really excited about. The second area that we're starting to really develop some better connections is with all the various communities, multicultural communities throughout the country. And knowing how great the work being done in, in a place like British Columbia and the Golf Association there led by Chris Jonason is an outreach to every community in getting them involved in golf in, in a more systematic way, in a more structured way. And what we in the collective governance of golf is it being really prescribed and determined in being welcoming as a sport. We want to try and take the obstacles down. Golf is a sport, unfortunately, that it's born in rules and born in things to do and not to do. And we have a responsibility to take those obstacles down. I went by a, an older golf course and it had a sign up right walking into the driving range and it said, nobody under 13 allowed over here. Anyone under 13 not permitted. And you just sort of think that's exactly the old school of thinking is juniors not being able to play or under the age or not being permitted. 
And what we're trying to do is figure out ways to make people feel comfortable on the golf course, right. feel welcomed. And that might be by structure or by setup or by lowering economic obstacles. And that's a real part of our mandate at Golf Canada. And to expand that, to grow the game with women, I know you have relationships and partnerships with We Are Golf and also the LPGA Women's Network and their hashtag campaign, Invite Her, to make the game more inviting and welcoming to onboard women to get them out to the course and remove those barriers of intimidation. With those partnerships and also on your own uh, internally, what are you doing to act on that to grow the participation with half of our population in the country? Yeah, well, I think that, first of all, our perspective is we're a national sport federation. So everything that we do has a sense of gender equality to it. Out in your part of the world, as we opened up Golf Canada's High Performance Center at Bear Mountain, and it's our long-term player development program, as you know, and it's six boys, six girls who live there a half year. They do their schooling, their high school at the local school. They're involved in half day in school and half day in high intensity golf instruction and training. And that is our North Star in terms of the highest level of performance that we're trying to drive people toward. But in every level that Golf Canada gets involved, and we do a quality platform, men's and ladies championship, boys and girls championship. What we do is really have prior to my arrival and with the great direction of our board is we adopted an, an equity and diversity policy. And this policy has become so renowned that it's being picked up by other national sport federations, by golf associations south of the border. Many of the U.S. states have reviewed it. Tours have also taken aspects of it. And it's really been driving a growth in female participation. And what you're seeing in reality or, or results is you're seeing the entries of all of our amateur championships, the, just the gross number of entries rise significantly. You're also seeing the balance of boy and girls juniors programs start to level out. And so where for a time, you know, some of our programs were looking at 80-20 or, or 75-25, we're now starting to get a third to half gender equality. And that's what we're really driving towards. And I, I will also mention maybe at this time is we had a young athlete who came through our program from the age of 11. And this young girl has developed into quite a golfer on the LPGA Tour. And she won our CP Women's Open event this year, which is Brooke Henderson, obviously. And Brooke being part of our program, early days, I mean, the pictures of her are so, we always laugh when we share these pictures because she's, she's still, she's not tall of stature, but she was really tiny. And for as long as the coaches can recall, she, she was playing with a, almost a full-size men's shaft for a long time and could just always hit it. And so Brooke performing the way she has and being present and active in the Canadian community, you should have seen her in Regina's summer winning our event and the number of young girls and boys who were just starstruck and following her. That's the kind of hero that we need in Canada and the kind of effect that she's had in the Canadian marketplace. I completely agree. I, I didn't have the chance to be at the CP Women's Open this year, but I was following, especially on social media there, the Instagram stories that some of the young people, fans that were following her around were just so heartfelt and the connection there. You can see she's such an ambassador for the game too. So when you say you've got uh, from 25% in only a couple of years up to a third or even sometimes spiking at a half, almost 50-50, I see that as incredible. Where usually it takes at least one generation to get to that level. And it sounds like that's being turbocharged by the efforts of Brooke and, and your ability to align with her and her desire to actually make that happen. It sounds like you have a fantastic relationship with her. 
I've been fortunate to be around a lot of professional athletes and a lot of world-class athletes. And what makes Brooke so special is she's incredibly relatable. She's kind and she's humble and she is like stone cold competitor. So these are the things that, you know, I've seen it a couple of times with some other athletes where you speak to Brooke and she takes time with people. And she's, as I said, she's kind and smart and comes from a wonderful family. It's a family's in, involved in so many aspects. You know, it's really well known that her, obviously her sister, Brittany, is her caddy and she's six years older. Her dad has helped coach her for a long time and been the, actually the principal coach in driving her forward. Her mom's very involved, but she really has that competitive streak that is so fun to watch. And she's just, she's very Canadian in, in the many ways. And so I was so pleased to see her victory and, and the response of the victory victory and how everyone came around her. And this year will be at Magna Golf Club for the CP Women's Open at the end of August. And a beautiful track in north of Toronto and in Aurora. Beautiful golf course. It'll welcome the entire Canadian golf community and the global golf community to a beautiful track that not a lot of people have played or seen. And it'll be just, you know, that's another one of those obstacles. It's, you know, another obstacle is getting people to places they see live golf. And it's very accessible. It's very available. Juniors, 13 and under, are always free free at all of our professional championships. And that's how you start. It is. And I was just going to ask you that if, as, as far as the price point to encourage younger people to come out with their parents. And I was just about to say, we're doing some work with the PGA of America for the championship at, at Bethpage Black in May. And knowing there also that they, they've got that same mandate to grow the game that kids with a parent can come for free. And the fact you are out in front of that and you're doing that, that's just, just one other element. There's no silver bullet here that's going to flip the switch here, but doing all these incremental things across the spectrum all help just break down those barriers and, and you're, you're, you're doing just that. So, hey, I, w- I want to switch gears a little bit here, but this is really ties into the outreach program that you've been talking about on, on many fronts in schools with Acura and, and some other initiatives there. But tell us a bit about, because I believe it was the first year you did it, that you had National Golf Day at Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Now, you were involved directly with that. Can you tell us a bit about that event and that day? Yeah, sure. There's an association that brings together sort of all areas of golf in our country called NAGA the National Alliance of Golf Association, which sounds like a very formal sort of stiff kind of group, but it's actually the owners, the golf course owners. Yes. It's the instructors, the PGA of Canada. It's the superintendents and it's the club managers and Golf Canada, the National Sport Federation. So these five groups come together. And what's interesting, Colin, is four of the five are all new, uh, have been named new in the last year. And only the golf course owner, CEO, it's a guy, a gentleman that you know, Jeff Calderwood, right, has had a long tenure, but the rest of us are all brand new. We get together on a quarterly basis and we talk about our organizations and we talk about some of the initiatives. In 2018, the initiative was we're going to resurrect National Golf Day Canada. And I want you, Colin, and your hopefully your listeners to put May 1st on your calendars, which will be National Golf Day in 2019. And what we will do is we will be going to Parliament Hill the way we did this year. And we had meetings with over 40 members of Parliament. And the idea was simply to remind them of all the things that golf is touching. It's touching economic factors. It's touching environmental factors. It's touching the employment, its workforce, its physical and mental health for Canadians. And it's charitable. 
Golfers in Canada raise over half a billion dollars for charitable endeavors. Half a billion dollars. And yeah, that's incredible. that is more than all the other top 40 sports in Canada combined. And as you know, many hockey clubs and baseball teams and professional ones run golf events because it's one of the ultimate ways of raising money. And, and so we went to Parliament Hill. We, we had representatives from all the groups I mentioned. And we took meeting with over 40 MPs. And we just talked about golf. And we talked about the good, we talked about the opportunities, we talked about the future. And what we will do in 2019 is we will ask everybody who plays golf, loves golf, as a part of the golf industry, to take that day off and to somehow involve yourself in your local club, and your local provincial association, in your whatever it may be, and that'll be a golfing day. And we'll do the same thing in Ottawa. Provincial counterparts in many provinces will be doing similar thing. I know that Golf Ontario is planning a special day at Queen's Park. And just to raise the profile of golf, and this group, NAGA, has done a, a number of very interesting initiatives, but I think this is one of the most important ones, is to remind people that golf is played from age 8 to 88. It's played by every socioeconomic demographic, and it's gender equality. It's It welcomes everybody, and we're going to continue to grow that mandate. That was May 1st, you said? May 1st. May 1st. Well, let's see what we can put together. I'd be happy to join you in Ottawa if we can find a way to make that happen. I think as you you do know, Lawrence, I did have the chance to attend National Golf Day in the US on Capitol Hill. And I did a podcast from the people that I met and the stories that revealed themselves from that. I was invited by Steve Mona for that. So I, I have some experience in that realm. And also one of the other hats I, I wear is in the entrepreneurship in startup communities. And for two years in a row, I've been in Ottawa in October as part of what they call startup up day on the hill. So I've been running around Parliament Hill talking to with meetings with MPs and ministers also to talk about that. So uh, I also have a bit of experience in that realm too. So maybe I, I can help you out there too. There's let, Let's talk about that later offline and see if we can put something together. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. That'd be great. Absolutely. So, well, that, that sounds great, the fact you're doing this. So once again, you actually said resurrected National Golf Day. So this was something that, that had occurred in Canada before and, and was just kind of put on hold until NAGA kind of resurrected it or... I think what had previously happened is we had many of the golf constituencies go to Parliament Hill and take meetings and address concerns. And one in particular is has been an issue that's something that has been in the works for a long time is the deductibility of tax of an expense of green fees as a business expense. And that was something that changed many years ago, led by the NGCOA. That had been something where people had lobbied the government on trying to make some changes. And so while there had never been an official golf day or national golf day, there had been some good lobbying discussions done. So I guess a better word is to really restart a sort of more formal. And as you mentioned, you were involved in the US one. For 10 years, they've been running Day on the Hill. And Steve Mona has done a great job in rallying all the golf, the industry, professional players. I think even one year they had Jack Nicholas representing them to talk to various congressmen and just really put golf at the forefront and to let people know that the economic impact of labor, taxation, and social benefits of playing all the things that is good for golf. And it's, it's something I'm, we're really excited about, making an even stronger dent into the consciousness of our government. What people might not realize is the government of Canada and Sport Canada is one of the biggest investors in golf. 
and they've done wonderful things in supporting our amateur development programs, our high performance, and with golf as an Olympic sport and having its second return after Rio, it will be a key sport in 2020 at Tokyo. The Government of Canada, the COC, and Own the Podium, OTP, have been great sponsors and, and partners of golf, I would say. So the government sometimes doesn't always get its due for being a, a really wonderful partners of sport. Yeah, I agreed completely there. To expand a little bit on the conversation here, golf has, whether it's bad PR of, of golf or just the, the way that especially younger people or, or a lot of society outside of the game look at golf, you've heard it for years also, Lawrence, that it is elitist and it's stuffy and it's it's not really a sport, it's a game, but we both well know that that's not true. So could you talk a bit about the fitness and health benefits of walking 18 holes of a round of golf for a recreational player and what the benefits of of doing that at least once a week? So one of the things that was really interesting for people to dive a little deeper into is what the RNA has done with the World Health Initiative. In the fall, they went to their parliament and along with a couple of famous golfers such as Annika Sorenstam, the chief exec Martin Slumbers put on an amazing presentation of all the wonderful developments within the health realm that it's kind of the magical sport for a lifetime. And what's great about golf is the physical aspects of it, but also the mental health aspects of it is being outside and being in an environment which is inclusive in terms of engagement with other people. It's done in a social environment. It's good. And I'm thinking about for young people and for older people, people of all ages, but in particular those groups that for a lot of it is without a screen. It's the walk golf course, uh, 18 holes, as you know, is anywhere from four to six miles. And to be outside without screens, with colleagues or friends, there's a lot of research being done at the moment. And I've seen some of the evidences of it is that it's the number one sport for soldiers or first responders who are suffering from PTSD. And for all those reasons, and, and then the one that I always sort of, everyone sort of gets a laugh out of is the injuries in golf are not usually concussions or, or severe. They're ankle sprains and sore wrists, but it's relatively, it's a very safe sport and it's in an environment that is really wonderful for mental and physical benefits. And so I think it is just one of those things that we in the sport need to do a better job of promoting all the wonderful things that come along with golf. And, and I'm just a huge proponent. In 2019, you'll see a lot more news coming out of Golf Canada and our partners about how great golf is for all these reasons. Yes, yes, absolutely. I guess on the, another optics or public relations front too, people that are not in the game of golf or don't play, especially on the environmental side, the sustainability side, that golf, in my mind, and I, I feel like I can say this as an architect and a lead accredited professional and a sustainable designer, I understand the efforts that golf goes through with, with the golf course superintendents and the golf course owners and, and with Golf Canada and everybody else. You look at the opportunity to actually be even more sustainable. The fact you're providing with the over, I think, over 1,400 golf courses in Canada. Is that, is that the correct number? Correct. That we have here? Well, they, they actually say there's 2,300 facilities, but we actually have uh, over 1,400 that are members of Golf Canada. 
Right, right. So with that, can you can respond to that, especially people that are saying that using golf courses for this type of recreational capacity and what that does to the environment, how that actually preserves wetlands and wildlife and in other aspects and the efforts that the golf industry is making to reduce chemicals and pesticides and, and water use and all those other great things. Now, that's, a, that's a big, hairy question there with a lot there, but perhaps you could touch on a couple of points of your take on that, on the sustainability aspect of golf. Yeah, uh- First of all, I'll give you a disclaimer, Colin, that I'm no agronomist, and this is an area that I've really just started to get a little bit more knowledgeable and being formed in. But I will tell you that I've spent a lot of time with golf course superintendents and the environmental issues that were golf course owners and regions are facing. So it's something that it's really a worthy of conversation because I think there's a lot of unknowns, like you said, out there. A lot of golf courses have been built in areas that had pretty good and purposeful restrictions on what could be built. And it's great uses of green space in the community. And one of the best quotes I heard from a gentleman who runs the U.S. Superintendent's Association, he said, water conservation and the effects on the environment is at the forefront of what they're doing. And he said, we've made such strides in the past decade that the things that we used to kill we now actively grow. Right. And doing they've taken water consumption down by as much as 40% in Canada. And I will say that what you're seeing is a very heightened awareness by the people in this specific community. I think also, as you talk about the usage of golf courses, and I want to touch on some of the points that you raised and asked about, is that golf courses have a massive footprint for usage for a number of different areas. And depending on where you are in Canada and what where you are, And it was a bit of a debate about municipal golf courses and usage. And there are golf courses across our country that in the months that we're able to play, you can't get a tee time. You can't find a space to play because they found the right combination of affordability, accessibility, and in particular, they've found the sweet spot for entry to golf courses or entry for players, I should say. Absolutely. And I think that's what we're really big proponents of is the natural marketplace is taking is we're, ha- we're seeing some golf courses being sold. We're seeing some golf courses being redeveloped. And I think that is a case of market sprawl and cities going a little bit further out. And, and to be quite honest, I'm often asked where does our support lie? And, and of course, I'm a big proponent of golf courses and growth. But also, I'm a big proponent of having the marketplace help guide what is good for an area. I have a lot of partners in the golf space and the ownership side, and I'm seeing incredibly environmental conscious, consumer conscious, so I mean to the golfer, and trying to put a package of benefits out in front of people that'll make it attractive for people to come into golf. So I think from an environmental standpoint, I think we're in really the best position we've ever been in the golf course industry. And it's just a key of getting that consistent message out there to the general public. Because I know in Vancouver, you made a great point there talking about municipal courses now being challenged for their use. If this is public land, it should be using this for only a very few as compared to the, the size of the general populace. And I know that the three municipal courses we have here in Vancouver, I was just having a conversation with, with someone about this the other day. Those are, of all the courses in British Columbia, all the golf courses, those are the three most heavily played with the most rounds of golf a year in British Columbia. 
And we've got elected officials now, some of them wanting to close down one or all the courses, say, oh, they should be turned into parks, the fact that they're not accessible to everybody, without considering the fact that the revenue generated from that for the park board here in Vancouver pays for a majority of all of the other maintenance and facilities across Vancouver. So there's an economic benefit, there's there's all these other things that are just that storyline and that narrative is just being glossed over or not told properly and we're encouraging more people to come out and play. And I know in Vancouver, we're starting to do that. And we're working on some initiatives also that hopefully we'll unveil in 2019 or 2020 to help invite even more people to onboard the general public to try golf. But I see that also. There's a bit of this stigma attached to golf courses as using a public resource in a private way. Yeah, and I wish I, I had my head around the financials regards to the Vancouver Municipal Golf Courses. All I continue to hear in that community is, A, how great those golf courses are for pure public use, how available they are from a cost perspective, how busy they are, and shout out to our partners or friends out at the Vancouver Municipal Sports Organization, led by a keen golfer named Michelle Collins, who also does some work with the British Columbia Golf Association. Is yes. They are doing innovative, wonderful things in all of sport and have also been able to find a way to continue to grow sport when things are so busy. And so it's such a robust time for growth in that community. What was recently happening in Toronto was a very similar thing as the consideration during a, the last mayor vote that these golf courses could be turned into multi-use land. And it, it sort of ignored the fact that these are some of the busiest, most accessible, most utilized resources that cover their own costs rather than a being a cost hindrance on tax citizens. It's actually providing a revenue generation. No, I think it's something that we are always eager to talk about the facts. We're always eager to engage with golf course owners, communities, municipalities, and how we can do better. I see evidence of a lot of different things that are going on around the world where golf courses have some other multi-uses. Other people are permitted access to it in some way that really satisfies the whole community. And I, I think it's always a good thing. It's a good discussion. It is. I just heard this one the other day that apparently at uh, St. Andrews, the old course, on Sundays, it is closed for golf and it's open for the public to, you can just bring the family and have a picnic and have the dog run around and it's not open for golf, but it's open to the public. And I did not know that. I've heard that as well. I'm not 100% sure, if 100% the validity to it, but I think it's quite, <laughs> quite close. My, my favorite one is I got I got taken to a, a golf course, so a public golf course, but you had to wear a red jersey. And the red jersey you had to wear golfing because there's also hunting involved. And you wouldn't want to be mistaken for an animal. <laughs> See, it's so uh, Tiger Woods red jersey. And so uh, that's all they had in the pro shop, which I, which was fantastic. Wow. Hey, so much for you saying golf is not a, a, a dangerous game, apparently. And that <laughs> depends on how you actually do it. If you, Yeah, that's the, that's the type of biathlon. I don't like uh, golf and hunting and shooting. Uh, I, I don't know if that one's for me. Maybe we'll find other ways to grow the game rather than that, than that one. So, exactly. so hey, I, I only have a you for a couple of it's more here. And thanks for spending the time so far here, Lawrence. So I do want to touch on this. I did have a chance to interview on the podcast, one of your colleagues, actually one of your board members, Dale Jackson, and we talked about the new rules of golf. So with that, I'd like to hear your thoughts of how you think this will impact uh, the growth of the game. The fact that they're looking, a lot of it was through the lens of actually simplifying the rules, make them more welcoming, less intimidating, and also being able to shorten the, the length of a round of golf by some of the rules that they put in. So what, what are your thoughts on that as far as the impact on introducing the game to uh, the non-golfers out there to make it uh, easier and, and more welcoming. 
Well, first of all, I would defer to my uh, expert colleague, Mr. Jackson. Glad you've had a chance to speak with him because Dale was at the forefront uh, as part of the Joint Rules Committee and helping to form these rules, and his insight's amazing. We also have two other individuals, Diane Barabay, who's our current rules chair, a Montrealer, and our representative at the major championships. So she's been an official at the Masters, at the British Open, as well as the Canadian Open for many years. And our head of rules internally at Golf Canada, Adam Helmer, who've all been part of this new modernization rules that come in effect of 2019. The two approaches that I love thinking about is, one, this is about making golf fun, fast, accessible, understandable. And although it has taken it's an incredible effort to do this turnover for the new rules of golf, there's probably at least two handfuls up to more than 10 really nice changes to the game to speed it up, to make it more relatable and to play the kind of golf that most people play. And everything from keeping the flag stick in to how we drop the ball and out of a hazard to my favorite personal one, because I have a friend who seems to have this two chip disease, is when you take a swing with your wedge and you end up hitting the ball twice in the one swing. It's not two stroke penalty or one stroke penalty. It's There's no stroke penalty. It's uh, you play it from where it lies after and move forward. So I think for the average golfer, they will see it'll be a nice lightness of moving the rules forward and being a little less heavy. And for the tournament golfer and the serious golfer, the process has been well done and got a ton of input on. And I think the changes are going to be really, really fantastic. I, I agree. The, the reason I laughed there was when I, I did talk to Dale, I said that was my favorite rule also because about once every four rounds, and I consider myself a, you know pretty good around the green in, as far as chipping and pitching. I'm the only one in my group of golf buddies that double hits. And I, I always do it, like I said, about every fourth round. And they just laugh and they laugh. And they're more than happy to give me that two-stroke penalty. And it's really a three-stroke <laughs> penalty because, of course, where the ball ends up is not anywhere close to where you, you wanted it to be. So my scores and my ego thank Dale and the others for reducing the punitive nature of that particular occurrence on the golf course. I think the gift to your listeners is twofold. One, it's the gift of knowing that two-chip rule is no longer a penalty, and it's also the gift of winning $20 from a friend who you can bet on. Now that you have the knowledge that there's no penalty stroke, you will win that $20 bet. Yeah, exactly. We were also talking, I guess I guess it was back in the 80s at the Open, that it was T.C. Chen suffered that, and that really cost him the championship. And, and Dale shared this, that he had the stigma afterwards of having the nickname T.C. standing for two-chip, which is just, uh, it's painful. That's... Uh, it's got to hurt. Yeah. 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 Painful. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, okay, before I let you go here, well, I do want to talk about the, as we do on the podcast here, is talk about the future of golf and perhaps what you think, looking into the crystal ball of where you would like to see or where you believe Golf Canada and the shape of Canadian golf and beyond will be in, let's say, 20 or 25 years. And I'm already seeing now with the board of directors that the face of it is changing. You now have three women on the board there. So over time, that will start to diversify even more and start to look more like like Canada and look like our culture looks like. So with that, what are your thoughts of where you'd like to see things go over the next while and your, your thoughts on the future for, for golf and golf Canada? Well, I was really pleased that in the end of 17 and all of 18, we had enormous growth at Golf Canada. And I was really pleased that that has already begun. And I can already tell you that 19 is starting on that similar footing. So I see over the next five to 10 years, as, as the outlook is, golf is having, I would say, a, a resurgence of the number of rounds of the people playing. 
You're seeing demographics that line up very nicely for the sport naturally. And I think there's a collective interest on the topics that dominate a number of your podcasts is the platform of diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. is going to put this sport on a trajectory that we haven't seen before. And a lot of things came together in 18 for us. Great to have Tiger Woods back on the leaderboard. Great to have a champion like Brooke Henderson win. But we're seeing it happen. It's not in pockets in Canada. It's broadly across the country and broadly across the world. Very happy to be able to be in some rooms where you see the leadership of global golf. And it's great. So golf's in a good place. And what we see with Golf Canada is we see more people playing more golf. We seeing being able to raise the level of this sport, being able to be really something that grows with the country over the next decade. What's so important is we're, we feel very lucky to be part of coming to work every day and, and being part of golf. And people have a little small sort of story is that we have a partner who's been a new partner over the last year and a half and they're Steam Whistle Beer. And what they said, one of their platforms of their vision was, you know, they want the best beer of the week to be the beer you have after golf. And we always sort of think that's the best moment. Well, if the best moment is being on that golf course is we want to have more moments like that. And our goal is to be a really financially sound national sport federation, providing great programs, great platforms for people to engage with the sport and continue to bring joy to people's lives in some small way. I love that answer. I think we'll leave things on that note, Lawrence. So thanks for that. Before I do let you go, though, can you please tell our listeners where they can learn more online about Golf Canada? Yeah, I, I think all of our social platforms are, are really developed, but our, our website, golfcanada.ca, is the best place to find out more about golf in schools, future links, which culminates in a national skills challenge. So very similar to Drive, Chip and Putt with our partners to the south that run this. For 10 years now, we've been running our FutureLinks National Skills Challenge, which culminates at the RBC Canadian Open. So find out how you can be part of golf in schools. So many people gift their kids school, believe it or not, a golf in schools kit. And that is something that has been a real big thrill for us. And so go to our website, golfcanada.ca, and uh, find out more about golf, our two professional championships, the RBC Canadian Open and the CP Women's Open, which are happen to both be in Ontario in 2019, are wonderful websites and wonderful platforms to volunteer and get involved. And thank you to you, Colin, for what you're doing for the sport and for innovation and progressiveness in golf is just just wonderful. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Oh, thanks, Lawrence. I really do appreciate that. So for our listeners, as I always do in the show notes for this episode, I will include all the links that Lawrence just mentioned and also all of their social media handles too will be there so you can learn everything, all the good stuff that Golf Canada is doing to grow the game. Although I do like to say, I don't know if I'm going to use the word grow the game anymore, Lawrence. I've been talking about this. I think I like like, like the term progression of the game or evolving the game because, you know, growth always makes it sound that if you're not growing, you're dying, you're standing still. And it's much more than that. It's more nuanced and it's richer than that. And you're certainly doing all those things with Golf Canada. So, hey, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. And I look forward to meeting you in person very soon. So I look forward to talking to you soon. So thanks so much, Lawrence. Wonderful. Thanks, Colin. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Golf Canada CEO, Lawrence Applebaum, about the innovative initiatives his organization is creating for all levels of golfers and the thought leadership they are showing around the world. I'd love to hear what resonated with you in this episode, so please share your thoughts by emailing me at colin at modgolfpodcast.com, and I promise to get back to you. 
If you'd like to learn more about the impactful work Lawrence and his Golf Canada team are doing, go to our episode page where we've included links and photos to provide you with additional content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Nextlinks, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. And I also want to send a big welcome to our newest sponsor, Golf Genius Software, whose CEO Mike Zisman was my guest a few episodes ago. Without all of their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. My conversation with Lawrence is our 12th and final episode on Season 5 here on the Mod Golf Podcast. We're now going to take a couple weeks off to develop our next batch of a dozen new stories to share with you in Season 6. When I return, you'll hear a diverse range of entrepreneurship and innovation interviews, including Professor René Morbon, the co-author of the best-selling business book, Blue Ocean Strategy. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.